Mary. I appreciate all of you being here, although for some reason it looks kind of thin today. And as you heard uh, Gary mentioning, there were several that are absent for various reasons, and uh, we want to continue to remember them in prayer. We're glad to have with us David and Donna Edens and his daughter, their daughter Rachel. Uh, they have, I think, three other kids, though, too. It was four altogether, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I only know Timothy, the oldest one, the best. David has been a missionary for many, many years with his wife Donna and their children in uh, the Sahara Desert in Africa. And I told you a couple weeks ago that he's right, if you know, you know how the cream rises to the top with milk? Well, he's right at the top in my, in my estimation of missionaries, he and his family and the work they have done in the Sahara Desert. And I admire him greatly for the work he's done and for his family that has uh, stood right there with him all through tough times, hard work in the desert. Man, I mean, just to hear him talk about it, I can't even imagine what it must really be like. And so uh, I'm excited to have him come this morning and share with us, and he's got all kinds of things. He's been doing a lot of translation work and, and uh, printing of scriptures, and he's done the work himself, a lot of this, and... I mean, you should see it. It just looks like almost like pictures out of a coloring book. I mean, it's just all kinds of squiggly lines and things like that. And phew, I said, if you can read that, you're doing something good. But we're glad to have David here this morning. Uh, two things I wanted to mention. Number one, by way of remembrance, before I turn this over to him, is that we have ordination council coming up next Saturday. And uh, then we have the service on Sunday. Next Sunday morning, we're going to have an ordination service here. And then on May the 25th, right after church, we're going to have a covered dish carry-in where we, and we're going to get uh, John and Barbara Stansel. They're, they're going to be here. We just haven't told them exactly what's going to happen, but they sort of know, but they sort of don't know. So don't tell them anything, but they're going to come. I said, if we have to come get you, oh, she said we would enjoy that. Now she told Karen, she said, don't you do anything over there now? And when I called her, she said, oh, we would enjoy that. So I don't think she knows really what's up. So if we have to pull one on them, we will. Uh, and have a time when we can just honor them and thank them for their many years of labor and service here. All right, Brother Dave, it's all yours. Thank you very much, uh, Alan. We appreciate being here. And God bless you. We appreciate what uh, Alan has done to help us over the years being in his ministry at Baptist International Missions. Uh, the books here, I don't, I'm not like the preachers that go around and sell the books. These are not for sale. In fact, we don't even sell them in, uh, in Africa. Uh, but we give them away because people, Niger's one of the poorest countries in the world. I don't know, they're always uh, different. I hear different uh, debates about which country is really the poorest and there's always question there, but definitely Niger's a very poor country. And so we don't sell these normally over there. Over here, I don't think anybody would want to buy one because you can't read it. Now, those little squiggly lines that the uh, pastor was talking about, they have meaning. And if you'll read, you'll read about that over in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says all these sounds, they have meaning. And there are over 5,000 different languages in the world today. Most of the gospel preaching is done in the English language. I have heard that 90% of the preaching is done. Only 10% of the people in the world. Well, this is the burden the Lord put on our heart uh, because the apostle uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said uh, that he had strived in chapter 15, verse 20, I mean the Romans, I, I think I said Corinthians, Romans, chapter 15, verse 20, he said, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. This has been the burden of our ministry, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard the gospel. And uh, Brother Dan Truax was a member of missionary from our church in Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, he came off of the field and talked about the Tuareg people in the desert regions 
of northern Niger, or Niger. The Niger is in West Africa, and over 90% of the, the land area of Niger is desert, considered desert, and the rest of it is semi-desert. So it's desert. And uh, so, uh, but there are people there. There are many people there, uh, probably several million Touareg people. Brother Truex had seen them as he worked in Galami in the Mission Hospital in southern Niger. He had seen the Touaregs come up, uh, come from up north, come down there for medical attention, and it was called to his attention that these people didn't even have a Bible in their language. And the Lord spoke to our heart to do this. I have been to Bob Jones University and uh, studied uh, Bible, studied the, the Bible languages, uh, and the Lord put it on our heart that this should be something that we uh, should consider. And I said, Lord, here am I. And, uh, and my wife, Dinah, has been with me all these years. We've been for about 34 years in Niger, West Africa. Of those 34 years, I have actually had my feet on the ground in Agadez 28 years. Actually, been there. And the, the, the other years, we were in language school. We were on furlough a few times. <laughs> we don't get in the States very much. And uh, we labored to put these little lines down on paper that these people can understand. It is true that not many of the people do read there. Uh, some of them are learning to read more. Uh, many that do read, read the Arabic, and that is why what we put in their language, we wrote it in the Arabic alphabet so that many of them can read that. And we're also working presently on cassette tapes, and we want to put the entire New Testament. It took me 25 years to translate the New Testament into the Tamajic language. And uh, we read that John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Aren't you glad for the love of God? But how can they know of God's love if nobody has told them in their language? Folks, these people don't speak English. You know, we're in a very sheltered environment here in the United States of America. It may be getting chipped away just a little bit now. But we think the whole world looks just like we do, dresses just like we do, believes just like we do, speaks just like we do. No, that is not at all true. Even if you go to Europe, you go to France, you find a few people that speak English. But uh, the official language of Niger is the French language because it was colonized by the French. So we had to learn French. So we can uh, carry on our business there. You don't go into a foreign country and sit up and start preaching the gospel. Most foreign countries like this, just because you feel like doing it, you have to have uh, contact with the government. You have to have permission. And we'll say more about that later. But uh, we had to learn the French language, and John 3.16 became, car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son fils unique afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. Now, we had a visitor last summer, and he, my wife tried to, he's planning to come back and help us in Niger. My wife tried to teach him some French, and he scratched his head. Then they really talk that way? <laughs> yes, that is John 3.16, but uh, that was not even enough for the people that we had a burden to reach with the gospel because most of them, maybe less than 5% of them, had ever been to school of any kind. And so we must learn their language, and it takes a while. I think in translating God's word into another language, the most important thing, you must know that language as well as possible. Studying Greek, that's fine, because God gave us his word in the Koine Greek. And then God moved on uh, James, the prince of England, and he called those men together. There were other men working on it already. Wycliffe had and Tyndale. But God called those men, and they translated this that we call the authorized version. But those were men that had studied those languages and studied other languages that the, that the Bible had been translated into. But it's even more important, you must know the language that you're translating into to be sure it means what it's supposed to mean in that language. And so God has blessed us and helped us, and uh, the, we, John 3.16 became... Uh, 
فیل کلو وسرش زیگ زنن عج گرو تمدورد تاور نغرد in the Tamajic language. And so we have been working there, trying to win these people to Christ, put God's word into their language. And uh, we have the books we have here are the, the different things. We translate the New Testament and also the book of Genesis is down here. And you'll see that in several different writing uh, systems because the different Tuaregs And some of them can read one thing, some read another. And we want to put God's word in the language in the way that they can understand. Uh, We're working now on doing the the New Testament is here. And I had my pastor come out and and, uh, we dedicated the New Testament uh, in 2004. It was one of the highlights of our work in our ministry. And uh, then it has been printed. We've printed 3,000 and now we're working on printing a, a more presentable copy of the New Testament, something like this. This is not, this is from a different language over in Mali, but uh, this is just to give you an idea if you want to look at these things, at what we're aiming at, so that uh, some of our Christians, and we have some people that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're happy to, to be able to report that. Um, what we're going to do now is get these pictures, show them, and introduce you to some of the people that God has Uh, allowed us to uh, allowed us to minister to there in the preaching of the gospel. Sorry for this uh, machinery. It is not uh, trying to do not what we want to do this morning. Uh, the mice that you see here, we can go ahead and get up. The mice that you see is in Agadez in uh, northern Niger Republic. This reminds us that uh, the, the religion of the people in Niger is the Muslim religion. Some say they're 90%, others not, up to 95% of the people in Niger Republic uh, are Muslim. Now, the truth of the matter is that it's a lot like the Christians that we talk about in the United States. There are probably less than 5% who are actually serious about uh, being Muslim, but they all subscribe, however, to the Muslim religion. This, as we said, is in the desert, and most of these structures, as the mosque that you saw a moment ago, this mosque has stood for over 200 years out in the desert, made from mud bricks. The houses, most of them there, are built from mud brick as well. They just take this mud from out in the desert. It has a little clay in it. 
likes to sin, and they use knives for mortar that goes in between these bricks. Listen in. Now, when we have rain, which we do have rain a couple of months of every year, uh, then the things, these houses can melt. And we have to constantly be working on the houses uh, to keep the, the mud bricks covered up with another layer of mud. You notice the straw in these bricks, and you, that'll help you understand why Pharaoh didn't want Moses and the Israelites to have any more straw. This is the house that we moved into in 1974. Later, we have put a coat of cement on this same house. Now, the man that's standing there is a man from Agadez who has worked with us for many years, Yawa. He has made a profession of faith. We ask that you pray for him and his family. He has uh, been help, a big help to us there for many years. Agadez is swept by the desert, by the winds of the Sahara Desert. As you see, the walls can be covered. If you were to get lost in the desert, you'd be covered up in a few hours one of these sandstorms and nobody ever finds uh, find where you died. And this is a sandstorm that come up in, uh, comes up during the rain season. The storm is coming up from the, from the right side of the photograph. In uh, our ministry there, we have the church, the Baptist Church of Agadez, which is in the, on, in the front of that. One of our Christians standing there. Some of the ones that have that come out, we have up to 20, 25 to 30 of these people uh, come to our meetings each Sunday morning. We have about 12 baptized believers. We also go out, uh, the Lord opened the door, first of all, for a radio ministry in 1996. And the Lord uh, gave us this building here that we use for our making our gospel radio program. Uh, this is our recording studio, and all of these men that are with me there are professing Christians, have professed their faith in Christ as their Savior. Uh, we also uh, had the, the New Testament published in the, in the Arabic script, the same one that we have done, some of the publications we have, we house in the buildings there. Uh, in the last Summer, we had lots of rain, and this building has been damaged by water. None of our materials were damaged. We praise the Lord for that. But uh, these mud structures do leak, and they mud melts. And so in a few weeks, I'm going back over to put a new roof on this building so that it, uh, our books will not be damaged. We do not just stay in town, but we go out often into the desert. And this is a tent where most of the Tuareg people live in just tents like this in the desert. The, the nomadic people herd their camels and their uh, goats and sheep in the desert. This is the home of Al-Qasim, some of his children there. We have, for the last three years, had uh, Bible studies each Saturday morning at 5 o'clock, 5.30, 6 o'clock. We change our time over there according to the sun whenever it comes up. You notice he still has a flashlight because when we started the meeting, it's still dark. This is a custom. He made a profession of faith about three and a half years ago. His, uh, this is his neighbor, Ali, who also made a profession of faith at that time. Mohammed is a man that lives in town near us, but uh, he goes out with me to this uh, Bible study each Saturday morning. Mohammed is his name, had uh, come to our meetings for several uh, for several months, back about five years ago. He came into the country for a few weeks, and uh, he was very ill. They were not expecting him to live, and uh, his daughters were preparing to take him back to the mountain village where he was born, Hamathalak, because they expected him to die so he could be buried up there with, <laughs> with his ancestors. But Muhammad said to them, if I can just, if y'all can just wait, if I can just wait till David gets back. And so when we get, we've been in the States a couple of months uh, for medical uh, attention. We went back out there and we heard that Muhammad was sick. We carried a doctor to see him. So he had malaria, among other things. We gave him IV uh, medicine. And the Lord healed him and he came to church and accepted Christ as his Savior. He comes, he's been coming to our church services ever since. 
until now. The children of El Qasim, uh, his wife has never been to school. We have tried to teach her to read. And, uh, and these children, their, their father is reading the word of God to them. Whenever we go out there for our uh, Bible studies, they always make tea for us, and we always get to drink camel milk. Now, the, these camels are one-hump camels, uh, better known as dromedaries. This is Musa, one of, uh, or Moses, one of Al-Qasim's children, and uh, their, their youngest daughter and his wife, Maryama, which is Mary in Jamaica. Lali is holding the Gospel of John, after we printed this in, 19, in 2005 uh, in the Arabic strip, he, he was raised, born, and then was raised in a, was born out in the desert and raised in a Quranic school. This is his family, his wife, Fatimata, and their children as well. Uh, water is a very precious commodity in the desert. Whenever we go out to visit these people, we almost always carry water. This is Al-Qasim's niece. Uh, her mother passed away. Uh, she does not have a father. Her mother passed away several years ago. And Al-Qasim is charged with her care. We, we ask that she pray for her, that she will uh, understand the gospel and be saved. Uh, for over a year after her mother passed away, her mother was, was expecting a child, was carried to town, and died in, child, in childbirth. And for over a year, this this young lady was not even told that her mother was dead. She just knew her mother had gone to town, and uh, they were afraid to tell her that her mother had died. We're visiting here the father of Ghali, one of our converts that we just saw, that was reading the Gospel of John. His name is Phony. We visited him about 100 miles from Magadath out in the desert. He had one cow. He milked this one cow for us. Uh, Ghali witnessed to his father. And uh, his father received Christ as his Savior. And uh, just back in November, the, the uh, Ghani's father became ill. They brought him to town for medical treatment. And uh, he, he was there about a month and he passed away. So they buried him out. This is one of the cemeteries out, outside of the town of Agadez. And Ghani was so uh, blessed by the testimony of his father and trusting Christ as his Savior that he put the this uh, cross out there, this cross that was on the graveside of his father, because some of the others have uh, writing on their graves. Uh, the Muslims, many of them write nothing on the graves, but some of them do write there uh, something in Arabic from the Quran. And so he put the crosses there to testify to the saving faith of Jesus Christ, his father, and trusting in him. This is uh, a road going out to some of our villages that we visit, our encampments. This is not a road that you would find on any map because we made the roads ourselves just by driving back and forth to visit these people, visiting the encampment of Ibrahim. Uh, this is uh, Abraham or Ibrahim, one of the men who had trusted Christ as his Savior and his wife, Nafisa, just a desert dweller. Uh, one day, several years ago, Ibrahim carried one of the uh, cassette tapes from our uh, Sunday morning messages to his mother, Reshatu, uh, and she heard the gospel from those cassettes and trusted Christ as her Savior. And uh, now she has passed away as well in heaven, but we thank God that we were able to uh, touch the life of this woman. Her eyes and testimony to the fact that her life changed completely after she trusted Jesus as her Savior. We're visiting there in our vehicle. Uh, the uh, encampment of uh, Abraham. This is Ghali, our, uh, our Christian friend there. This is the young man that visited us, in the one in the foreground there, with his head turned toward the other. We went out to visit these people. It was 120 or 125 degrees in the shade this day. We put the uh, canvas up to try to get some shade, but uh, it doesn't help much, I'll tell you. When the heat gets up to that temperature, Survive it. That's about the only way. This is the New Testament after it was printed uh, a couple of years ago. This was printed in China, and uh, we thank God for the people that helped us to arrange the printing of this. And the body is opening the very first copy of the New Testament 
Uh, this man reads this to his children, to his family. He is very, he, he helps us with the preparation of it, very able to read this, and we praise God for the uh, word of God that we have been able to help get into his hands. We're visiting another family here, the encampment of uh, Ananias, we call him, he's a code name. His name is actually in their language behind him. His family, his wife, and his youngest daughter. Uh, this is his older oldest daughter and her uh, daughter. Not very happy to have uh, light flashed in her face. Uh, Ananias is reading from the book of Genesis. Now this is the the writing system of the Torah people that's called Shittinah that they have used for hundreds of years and you find these uh, symbols written out there on the mountains and on the rocks. Uh, this is the first three chapters of the book of Genesis that we've reading from there. Uh, Bahani came to us several years ago after uh, he read, in this Tifinah, he read from uh, the book of Mark. We had over 5,000 of the Gospel of Mark printed and have distributed most of them. Bahani came in one day to town and said, David, he said, I read in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, repent and be baptized. And he said, if, we're, if I'm going to be a Christian and, and, and trust Christ as my Savior, I want to be baptized. And so we called some of our men together and baptized him in the baptistry we've built there in the town. We visit other areas where we don't have the Christians. This is in Gundawell, a garden village to the northeast of Agadez. These men going up in this date palm to get dates for us. They harvest this date to give us dates for uh, our visit there. They use the oxen to draw water from their wells, their deep wells, and they irrigate and have vegetable gardens. Now the two men that were with me on this trip in the foreground is Mohanid. In the background there is Michel. These have both uh, made a profession of faith in Christ as their Savior. Uh, Mohanid, we don't know what happened to him. He disappeared uh, several months ago. And as far as we can tell, he went to join the rebel army in a war that's going on in Niger at this time. We camped in the riverbed. We're making tea there. Michel, uh, his father was a European. His mother is French. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, his mother is Tuareg. And he has trusted Christ as his Savior. And his wife, uh, Fati, comes to our home. And my wife teaches her in French. She has also made a profession of faith. And uh, Michel has told me that he feels that God has called him to be a pastor. Uh, he has had some schooling in French, just very elementary uh, schooling. We ask that you pray as we try to prepare him uh, for the Lord's service. We visited uh, on this trip the village of Aouderas, which is about 80, uh, 80 kilometers, uh, 50 miles to the east and to the north of Agadez. Uh, this is a mountain village. There's school there, some of the school children. Uh, we visited some of the villages in the surrounding area. Notice the village of these people in the background on the bluff there. These are Tuaregs of the Keloe uh, tribe of the Tuareg people. Many of these people listen to us on our radio broadcast. The next morning, uh, we stepped out and we're getting ready to go as the sun begins to rise. Back in Agadez, the traffic light was put up just this year, this past year after Qaddafi came to Agadez and visited and spent several hundred million dollars uh, in Agadez trying to prepare for his coming. They came there to celebrate the birth of the false prophet Muhammad. Uh, some of the street scenes in Agadez, this man with his donkey cart is carrying cooking oil and groceries on that cart to the marketplace. On the right, those bottles there that is gasoline that they put in those uh, bottles. Uh, I guess some of those are, are whiskey bottles. You know, the devil, he carries his, uh, his message wherever, all over the world. He beat us there. I'll tell you that. Uh, he, don't, uh, he don't waste any time at all. But they take those old bottles to the people. Most of the party people don't drink, by the way, but the soldiers and the government officials a lot of them do. And so they take these discarded bottles and put gasoline. This is black market gasoline. They sell it there for uh, motorbike riders. This mosque was built by funds from Qaddafi of Libya. 
in, in the uh, marketplace. This is another mosque in construction there, and it is being completed. The money for this mosque, several millions of dollars, no doubt, was furnished by some uh, woman from Nigeria who is a fundamentalist Muslim. Some of the other villages we visited, Emdegra, we visited people there who listened to us on the radio, and some of them said we believed the message we're preaching, others said they did not. They distributed the gospel that we had pointed to them. Some of these villages, have, many of them have gardens. The young man there is irrigating the ground. He has uh, wheat in the background, tomatoes and, and cabbage in the foreground. The Lord opened uh, the door for us to visit a village to the north of Agadez that is inaccessible by vehicle. Uh, the, the mountain you see in the background, there's a plateau there about 200 square miles. And uh, we did hire some camels, but we were not able to ride the camel because some tourist had fallen off of the camel and broke her neck several years ago. And so now we were only able to carry our gospel, our gospel literature up this trail to the top of this mountain, about 2,000 feet uh, above the surrounding elevation. It's a lot cooler up there, and we made about a 50-mile trip on foot to visit these people, to distribute uh, our gospel to them and to witness to them. We're able to witness to some of them. Many of these people, after they received the gospel and showed them to their Muslim priest, uh, they brought these back to us and said to us, we cannot accept this because it comes from the words of Jesus Christ and our teachers have forbid us to have this. But we thank God for some because this, this man sitting here uh, to, to my right, he is from that area, although he lives in Agadez now. He is a paraplegic. His name is Abdullahi. And he has trusted Christ as his Savior, has been coming to our services. He's sitting there with his dried tomatoes and and onions that he sells in the marketplace and potatoes, and uh, he uh, does this for a living. We ask that you pray for him, especially because some of his people are putting a lot of pressure on him because as a Muslim, he has trusted Christ and wants to turn from his ways, Islamic ways. So pray for him. One of the blessings to me is that these children are able to be raised under the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, many of these people, when we come to them, if they're in their late teens or if they're uh, young people, their life has already been warped and twisted by sin and by the vices and by the devices of Satan. But we thank God that this family, they're, they're at least ten of these children, they're being raised under the sound of the gospel. Their parents are reading the gospel to them, and this will be one of the first generations in that country. Who, was, who had the opportunity to be raised under the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, we can have the light now. I'd like to say that uh, we appreciate uh, our prayers at this time. Niger Republic is uh, in, a, in a time of war, and uh, it's a very serious situation. I'm able to keep up somewhat uh, by telephone with some of my friends. I was over there. I went over in uh, in. November, I was there in November, December, January, and uh, was not able to leave, even leave town, because the government had restrictions put on the country, and uh, we have a rebel army there now. Somebody asked me recently, well, what's causing this war? Basically, the biggest problem is that uranium is mined in the north of Niger, and uh, is shipped out of the country, and the government doesn't use very much of that money to develop this part of the country. So some of the people are aggravated and mad about that. And so this is the second rebellion that's gone on since we've been there. 
The thing is, these, this rebel army is up in the mountains. Some of the villages we visited in the last two or three years have been obliterated. The people have either been killed, just civilians, uh, because the military hasn't, to my knowledge, killed one rebel yet. But the rebels have destroyed a number of military installations, a number of soldiers. They've captured other soldiers. And when that happens, these uh, soldiers just go out into the desert, and the first civilians they meet, uh, women, children, whoever, they kill them with guns. And of course, these people don't have guns. They don't even, a lot of them don't even have swords or knives. So we do ask that you pray. When I was there in November, the Red Cross had, had reported that as far as they could tell, over 1,000 of the civilian people out in the desert had been killed in this way. So we do ask that you pray for us and pray for our... Uh, we we had to suspend our Bible classes out in the uh, area outside of Agadez at that time because of... I, we, we talked about it, and we could possibly have gotten permission to go. I went and talked to the governor of Agadez to let him know I was there. Uh, many of... There are very few foreigners there anyway, but many of them had left already. But I wanted him to know that I was there, that I was not uh, uh, wanting to hide my presence there because uh, the government does accuse uh, Europeans of aiding and abetting this rebellion. And when I talked to him, I assured him that we were praying for him because he is in a difficult situation. The soldiers had... I did, he couldn't even meet me in his office. The soldiers had come and taken over. Military law has been uh, uh, declared in that part of the country. And uh, myself and my Christian friends there, we talked about uh, whether we should suspend. It's only five or six or seven miles out of town. And we discussed if we, if we should continue those meetings. But uh, our, my concern was that if our vehicle's tracks were were seen out there, the military would accuse them of having been visited by rebels from the rebel, rebel army, and they could just go and just, just kill them outright. And that happened. Believe me, it, it's just ugly. Things happen over there. But we praise God for the opportunity to be there. This morning, I'd like for us to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to read a few verses and talk just a little about the burden that we have there and what God has commanded us to do. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All powers given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Uh, let's pray just for a few minutes. We thank you, Lord, for your word that you've given to us today. Thank you for this opportunity of being here. We pray that you'd speak to us from your word. Encourage us from your word, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. I would uh, point our attention this morning in the passage that I read to several things. Uh, notice that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Notice the command that he gives, Go therefore. Jesus has the authority, the power. And therefore he has commanded us to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Notice as well, the word of God, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Notice as well the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, even unto the end of the age. I know that uh, things around us are changing rapidly. I certainly can't keep up. I come back into this country and I don't fit in anywhere. I don't know what's what anymore. And when it comes to... Uh, the servants of the Lord. God still has his people, but things are really changing, aren't they? 
They really are changing. And, but, you know, we cannot be discouraged because of that. Jesus has given his command, and I feel that we're, my responsibility is to continue to execute his command. He says, I am with you even to the end of the world, even to the end of the age, until he comes again. We're to continue. But some of the disciples doubted. Jesus has the power and the authority for us to execute his command, for us to carry out what he has told us to do. His disciples, they doubted, but uh, why should they have doubted? They had already witnessed Jesus' power, his power over the material world. Because when he came to them, after his resurrection, he came right through the wall. The doors were locked, but he came right through that wall. He, they had seen his power over nature. When uh, just a few days before, he had told them to cast their, uh, their net on the other side, and they drew 153 fish out and came to shore. And there was Jesus. He had already had some of the fish cooking on the coals. They had seen him and his power over human physiology, the healing just a few days before of the, the, the high priest's servant's ear that had been cut off, but Jesus picked it up and healed him. And they had seen him heal those that were stricken with fever. They had seen him heal those who were lamed. He had restored speech to those who, whose speech was impaired and could not even speak at all. He had restored hearing to those that could not hear. He had uh, even restored sight to those who had been born blind. And yes, these disciples had even witnessed the power of Jesus Christ over death at least three times. We know that he raised those that were dead. The girl who was 12 years old and whose father was the, uh, the leader of the synagogue. And, and uh, he said, my daughter's dead. Jesus says, have no fear. And he accompanied, accompanied this man back home and raised his daughter from the dead. The, the young man whose funeral possession Jesus met on the road. And he healed him, raised him from the dead. Lazarus, who had been dead four days already. And some of the witnesses said by now he, he stinks because he's been dead four days. But when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He who had been dead for four days came forth because Jesus came with power over death. Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. So that when Jesus died after they crucified him on the cross, he came back from the grave. These disciples had seen this power. They had seen his power over the meteor, meteorological phenomena as he rebuked the winds and the waves. And they obeyed his command. And they said, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey his command? They had seen his power over space-time because as, they, as the, the storm was abated immediately, it said. They arrived on the other shore. And from all that I can understand, that means they were there. They were there. We, they had seen his power over the material world because he had taken five loaves and two fishes and fed over 5,000. And on another occasion, with seven loaves and a few fishes, he had fed over 4,000. He came to them walking on the sea, and it was a tempestuous sea at that. They had seen his power over the non-material world because the demons were subject to him and had to obey at his command. They only could move at his permission as he granted them permission to enter into the herd of swine. They had seen his power over Satan. Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh, but hath nothing in me. And as the 70 returned again with joy, whom Jesus had sent out to preach his message and saying to him, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning 
fall from heaven. Yes, Jesus had power over Satan and still has power over Satan. But most of all, Jesus had power to forgive sins. And this is why Jesus sent us into the world to preach his power to forgive the sins of mankind. If we go to them with this message. He said, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This message is for all men everywhere. This word of God, not just for the few, or for the some, or for the religious, or for the Jews, or for Americans, but for all men everywhere. And my conviction is that God in this book has spoken to man wherever he is found. This book can and has a message for those Tuareg out in the desert who have never heard it. For the Fulanis out there, for, for, the, for men in the jungles around the world, wherever they may be, this word has a message for them. God has spoken to them, and it is our responsibility to take this message to them. But Jesus said, when you go, I'm going to be with you. Uh, the Apostle Paul experienced this on several occasions. In uh, the book of Acts, he went to Cur the, the city of Corinth. There was much opposition there. The Jews uh, didn't like it. They had chased him out already of Macedonia, out of Thessalonica. And uh, in Corinth, the Lord stood by, appeared to Paul at night by a vision and said, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And the apostle stayed in Corinth and did work for God there. And, and a church was established there because the apostle Paul obeyed God's command. Jesus was with him. A few days, a few uh, years later, he was arrested and in jail in, in Jerusalem. And the Jews had threatened to take his life. They even swore and took an oath that they would neither eat nor drink, drink anything until Paul was dead. But you know, the Lord, Paul said he stood by him in Acts chapter 23 and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. You know, Jesus has the power. Sometimes we run into these governments to carry, when we go out to carry this message. When our first missionaries went to Niger Republic, the government people told them, we don't want you here. I, hadn't, I, I was in France. We were preparing to go, and the president, the France, uh, Niger had an overthrow of the government. And we stepped into that country. This new president had only been there for about six months, and he said, Niger's 95% Muslim, and we intend to stay that way. I had missionary friends there shaking their heads, wringing their hands, and I said, well, praise God, that leaves 5%. Let us have that 5%. Amen. But, you know, Jesus has all power in heaven and in earth, and uh, these kings, and they, they sometimes really think they are big. We know that God put them where they are. Who is the king of kings? Jesus Christ. Amen. He's also king of our heart. He should be. And, and he, he can make these men do his bidding. Because Paul, when they had threatened him, what, did it, what happened? Well, his nephew went over and reported it to the Roman uh, governor. And the Roman governor, he called the chief captain. And he said, uh, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea. And horsemen, three score and two, 70 horsemen, cavalry. And the, at the third hour of the night. And uh, spearmen, 200. At the third hour of the night. And he carried Paul over to Caesarea. That was the Roman government. That was the fierce Ironclad Roman army that Jesus, that, that Jesus commanded to protect Paul. Amen or not? Jesus was with him. Later, a few years later, the apostle Paul found himself uh, in a ship at sea. 
And uh, for days they saw neither the stars, the sun, or the moon. And their ship was about to be destroyed. And these men, 176 on that ship with, with Paul, they, they were afraid to even eat. But Paul says to them in chapter 27 of Acts, There stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And then Paul said to those men with him, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. I think that in this time we still must continue to get this message out to these people. And I believe God, friends. I believe God, and I believe this book, and I believe it's the Word of God, and I believe that it will not return unto God void. And we thank God for the opportunity to see that happen. Uh, the other week out there in Niger, I was listening to one of our Christian friends as he said, David, he said, my neighbor, Al-Qasim, that you saw, we have our Bible studies in his home there. He said he was telling uh, me, witness, and, uh, and testifying to me how that he thanked God that we came and brought God's word to him because he had lived a very wicked life before. But he saw from God's word that he was living in sin and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And his life's changed. I remember also Ghali, whose picture you saw in the, in the pictures after we'd been on the radio, and that was an open door from God. God had to open that door because we, we, we worked with this for years and years knowing that we're working in a society where there are not many people that read, but we're, we're hoping that someday somebody will open this and, and, and read it and understand the gospel. And then God opened the door for us to get on the radio. Amen. And uh, we had, uh, there was war over there then. Sometimes these wars work out in God's will too, amen. They're ugly, they don't look good. But God can have his way and his will in that, just as he does in the storms, the storm that Paul was sailing in. And I went over after the government had changed in Niger, after that war and I asked a young man that I knew there, I said, uh, could we go on the radio? I heard that they were going to open radio up for different things. And he said, well, I'll have to ask my boss man. And, and they, we put out a, a request, put it in a formal letter, and sent it off to Niami. Niami is 600 miles from Agadez. That's the capital city where the government runs everything. By the way, the bank that I banked with for many years was that far away, 600 miles away. And uh, if you want to really keep your business going good, try that sometime. But about a week later, this young man called me on the phone. And he said, David, uh, do you, can you pay for this radio broadcast uh, for a whole year in advance? And I was standing there thinking at that time I was the bank I dealt with was 600 miles away. And I, was, I had been sick uh, after having an attack of malaria. For a year and a half, I thought I was going to die. I was very ill. I was just recuperating from that. So I was flying down on a plane once every three to four months to get the money that the mission sends to my, our bank account in the capital of Niger. And so it had been several months since I'd been down there, so I knew there was going to be enough money. It, it, he was talking about something like $4,000, and he said, uh, can you... Pay all of that uh, for a year in advance if you can. You can go on the radio this coming week. And I was thinking about that and thinking, well, this, what an opportunity. Uh, folks, it's just, it's just astounding to have an opportunity like this to preach this book uh, to people on the radio in this Muslim country, people that have never heard it. And uh, I didn't do much calculating. I mean, you know, you calculate now. Can I get in touch with the mission? Lord, can I get in touch with my pastor, with these pastors that support us in time? Well, we, don't, we have communications problems over there, too. We have telephones, but most of the time they don't work. Sometimes they do. About half the time, or about two-thirds of the time, you'll be in the middle of your conversation, and whack, it gets cut off. So uh, what can I do? And I knew that there was money down there, but, you know, that was money we were supposed to buy groceries with for the next two or three months. I asked this young man, I said, uh, will you take a check? Yeah, he said, I believe we will. I said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Because uh, Brother Allen, 
this is nothing we could play around with in my estimation. And so we uh, went over and wrote him a check, and the next week we were on the radio, and that was been 12 years ago. We've been on the radio ever since. And you know, the Lord was supplying the need, that need, because about six or eight weeks later, because we do have a delay in our mail over there, six or eight weeks later, some lady had sent us $2,000 that she, it was part of her heritage she had received after her mother passed away. And so the Lord had already worked in to supply that. I didn't know. But you know, the Lord works things out that way. Amen. So here we are, uh, after spending years translating and not knowing who's going to open this someday, having learned to read and read it. And we're all at once, we're reading this to thousands of people every Saturday morning for 15 minutes on the radio. Amen. And there's no reading problem then. And we praise God for that opportunity. We have had, uh, we have three or four of our Christian friends that have never been on the inside of a school. But we taught them to read. They had the, the initiative to learn to read so they could read God's word to their people. And now they're reading the, radio, the gospel of Jesus Christ on the radio to those Muslim people. We got reports from those mountain villages you saw up in the north, scattered across the north of Niger. And they were saying, we want to hear the words of Jesus Christ because our Muslim teachers will not let us hear the words of Jesus Christ. And I said to my Christian friends, they want to hear the words of Jesus Christ. They will hear the words of Jesus Christ by God's grace. And so we have read the, the Gospel of Matthew in its entirety over the radio, explaining the questions that they may not understand. They don't understand who Pharisees are, so we explained to them who the Pharisees were. Uh, we have read the entire Gospel of Mark. We have read to them the Gospel of Luke. We have read to them the Gospel of John and over half of the entire New Testament and explained that to them. We have people coming in from all over and from other countries as well that have heard us on the radio, and we praise God for this opportunity. One of the greatest days of my life was when Riley, whose photograph you saw with his Bible there, the, new, the Bible after we'd had it printed, he said to me one day, I visited him at his home. He said, David, I will never again offer an animal sacrifice because I heard you read from the gospel on the radio that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. Now, these Muslims, they, they make those sacrifices. Even when they move to a modern country like America, and they're coming to this country from all over the world because of the blessings they've heard on this country. A lot of people criticize the United States of America, but most of the world would give anything, their right arm, if they could get here and stay here. Believe me, I've been around, I know. But, you know, when they come to these other countries, many Muslims live in England, many live in France in these high-rise apartments that are 15 and 20 stories high sometimes in France. They're going strike and they don't even have an elevator and they're 20 stories up. But, you know, these, <laughs> these Muslims, they got to drag a lamb, a ram up there and they'll slaughter that thing in their kitchen sink because they think they're trying to appease God. With that blood. I'll never forget when I first visited, uh, when I first arrived in Afri Africa and Ivory Coast, and it was on the day of the great festival that they call the Festival of the Great Sacrifice in the Muslim world. There were many Muslims there now, even at that time. And I went downtown with the missionary on that day. On every street corner, they were cut, slaughtering lambs and goats. It was a gory mess, I'll tell you. I even got pictures of it. But those people think that that blood, they have not read the entire story, folks. But we do have the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they, they'll try to, to, to appease God. They'll offer those sacrifices. But Riley said to me, David, never again, because I know Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. And now he's reading that to his friends. This... Uh, the uh, gospel, that uh, the New Testament that we had uh, transliterated and printed that Riley was holding there, one of our friends, Abraham, you also saw his photograph out in the desert. Uh, he distributes those to friends of his. And many of the Muslim teachers go out into the desert and teach the Koran 
to their friends. And they also write it out on a board, and they have a, a special board they write it on. They make their special ink, and they have a special pen. They write it out. If you're sick with malaria, they'll write it out some ink there, and they wash it in a bowl. You drink that ink, and you, you're supposed to get healed if you've got cancer or whatever. And that, they don't do that for nothing. It costs money. Now, these people believe that. Believe that. that they, they believe in it. And a lot of times they, they die anyway, but they, that's what they have been raised to believe. But one of these Muslim priests had visited Abraham, and he gave him a copy of the New Testament in the Arabic script. And he read over it and saw that beautiful writing there and, and said, he came back a few weeks later and said, I want three of these. I have three children so that they can read it as well. And several weeks later, this Muslim priest came to Abraham, our friend there, and he said to him, he said, what am I going to do now? And Abraham said, well, what do you mean? He said, how am I going to make a living? Because he, he had been reading in the New Testament, and he realized that he was in error and was following a lie. And the New Testament had revealed to him in reading the New Testament that the truth is Jesus Christ. And he said, how can I make a living? See, he's used to making a living going around with those, peddling those lies to people. And, and I told Abraham, I said, you tell him the way he's going to make a living, he's going to take that book, which is the truth of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And he's going to go around the desert teaching that to people. And then you are going to help him and take care of his family while he does that. Amen? That's the way that God intends for it to happen. And, and, but the, the Lord has opened these doors. But Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, we've faced some difficult times in that country. Believe me, but Jesus has always been there with us. Always he's been there with us. Many times, things that we could talk about that are unbelievable, Jesus is there. And it's our responsibility to carry out his commands. It's his responsibility to take care of us. The Apostle Paul says, I believe God. If we believe this book, and I do, then we should take him at his word, that he is able. We're living in difficult days now, but Jesus is still with us. And whatever your part is in helping to get this message to the farthest, uttermost corner of this earth, to those last people out there that haven't yet heard, whatever your part is, Jesus is going to be with you. He's going to take care. And this is my testimony, and we thank God. We ask that you pray for us as we continue. Pray for this situation out there. In May, on the 5th of May, I'm supposed to go back to Niger, and uh, we'll be there for several months to work on this building. We're going to still be preaching. We have our radio tapes to keep there. They're playing our tapes on the radio now as we're here. And we have to keep that going as well. The door is open. And as long as that door is open, I think we are to avail ourselves of every opportunity get the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people. May God bless you, brother. Thank you, David. If I remember right, did you say at one time you owned a camel? You have it at one time in his life. I've never met anybody else that owned a camel, but he did. <laughs> All right. Well, that was great, and that's a great message, and it's an, an inspiration and encouragement to me, just as he said, to know you know, the Lord said, matter of fact, in, in Revelation 5, 9, he says that uh, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, and thou, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And just as he said, you know, the Lord's command is to take the gospel to every corner of the earth, to the uttermost part. Well, this is one of those parts. And we have an opportunity to help do that. And I was also stirred by this very thought to think you were doing all this translation work and getting Bibles printed, hoping that maybe just a few that could read would get them. And then out of those, maybe a few would trust the Lord as their Savior. And yet now it's actually going out. Can you imagine laboring for that many years, years and years and years, just hoping that maybe a few... And all of a sudden, God opens the door, and there are thousands that are able to hear over the radio 
week in and week out. And that's that's stirring. That that's uh, that's you know, it just shows the awesomeness of God to work in our midst and and do what He's called us to do. Well, we want to have a part in that, David. And I have no clue what it's going to be, but you can we can be assured that we're going to have a part in getting these scriptures distributed to these folks that they might have an opportunity because one day, see, one day we want to be standing amongst this crowd right here. That's from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And we'll have an opportunity to meet them. Even David will be there and he can introduce us. See this, remember the guy in the slide? This is the guy. I want you to meet him right here. But if they can't have the scriptures in their hands, they can't hear it over the radio, you know, then we're going to miss out on a golden opportunity. And I don't want to miss that. I want to be a part of it. So let's just be dismissed in prayer, and we'll thank the Lord for what he's given us today and just ask God to work in our own hearts to do what we need to do to be a part of this. Father, we thank you for the blessings of participation in this great work and for the message that David has given us, but most of all, for the life that he's given in his family and for the sacrifice that has been physically on their bodies to labor in such tough conditions and such harsh elements in the desert. And so we pray that as he goes back and tries to uh, fix this building and they try to keep their home livable and and uh, make it a, a, a place, you know, where they can live and, and carry out uh, this great work, we just pray that you would undertake for them and bless Donna too, Father, with the physical problems that she has and and that you will meet every need. Grant us your grace, Father, in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.